Thank you so very, very much. It's a wonderful privilege uh, to be at Southwest Baptist Church this morning. And uh, thank you for hosting uh, Heartland Baptist Bible College. It, uh, it has been transformational in the lives of many of our young adults from North Love. I appreciate, uh, of course, Pastor Sam Davison and our many years of friendship and Pastor Gaddis and the continuation of the work. And as a guy that's getting close to his 70th year, I'm watching uh, these pastors as they transition their ministries over. And uh, what's happened at Southwest Baptist Church is a, is a wonderful testimony that uh, we rarely see. But thank the Lord and thank you deacons and staff and church family. And uh, it's a, just a beautiful, beautiful, wonderful thing. God's giving you an opportunity to impact the world. And uh, we are certainly, certainly grateful uh, for that. I, um, the preacher mentioned the addictions program uh, 27 years ago, a young fella. I'd met him when he was five and I was 18 when I came to North Love Baptist Church. I was a college freshman. And uh, his mom got saved in door-to-door soul winning. Two ladies knocked on their door and led her to Christ on their second visit. She brought her four kids, they call, she called them rugrats. Brought them to church, and one of her sons, Steve, uh, red-headed, and I don't know if you've got red hair, I don't mean to, but there's a personality that goes with red hair uh, when it's natural, natural red hair, you know, and it's just, but <clears throat> he had that personality. And, um, but you know, uh, he grew up in our, got saved and grew up, and I was his youth pastor and then became his pastor. But uh, he, uh, he went away from the Lord for 10 years. Great upbringing, and uh, stumbled back into church. And uh, I still remember the Sunday morning that he came in. He had a ponytail, hair all the way, and it was it was uh, all the way down to about his waist, and a scruffy beard, and his eyes were hollow. I didn't know he snorted cocaine before he came in. Just had the courage to go back where he'd grown up, where his mom was on staff. But he came. Said help. So, I never, never had any idea. And I'm glad because it probably wouldn't have helped him. <laughs> no, I had no idea what God would do. But it's a wonderful, wonderful privilege. You know, I sat in church last Sunday morning, and a young fellow came up to me. Daniel, Daniel's marrying Zoe. They both, they met. They can't talk when they're in the program. He sits on one side of the auditorium, and he sat. She sat on the other four years ago when they came. Couldn't talk. Well, now they've been doing a lot of talking. They're engaged and getting married in May. I'm going to get to do the wedding. But about eight or nine months ago, it's sad, it's sad, but in Illinois, in our, we've got a group of just, in a, a churches, Illinois Association of Independent Baptist Churches. You know, we have 16 empty pulpits right now in Illinois. And so they, yeah, well, I guess a year or so ago, somebody called me and said, uh, it was, I think it was Dr. Myers called me and said, uh, Paul, he said, listen, you got any, uh, you got anybody that can, you guys, some of your guys, your addicts, can they preach? <laughs> said, well, I think so, you know. And, well, Daniel, Daniel was one of those guys. We sent him out to Orangeville, church of about 70 or 80 people, buildings all paid for. More money in the bank than we have in the bank at North Love, which that doesn't take much, but we do have. But. So Daniel, 20, 30 years of age, so he starts preaching there on Sundays. Well, you know, chairman of the deacons called me first and said, you got anybody? So I said, well, I sent him out. He's little, he's a short guy. And uh, so last Sunday, he came to me on Sunday morning. He said, oh, preacher, he said, would you pray? He said, today, uh, Orangeville Baptist Church, they're, voting on me to become their senior pastor. Now you think about that. I'm thinking of a drug addict four years ago. Marrying a drug addict for, who was a drug addict four years ago. Listen, if you don't, if you don't think the gospel works, you are dumb as a box of rocks. <laughs> you know, man, I'll tell you what, it works. It really does. It's a, just a beautiful thing. I, I've got some 
if you'd like to connect in some way, uh, just about everything I've written has some connection to stubborn habits and addictions or helping people. But there's some books in the back there. Thankful for Brother Perkle. He's going to help me with that after the service. And so he'll be back there to help you if you'd like to buy any books. There's also order forms there and find out more. And then if you'd like to find out a little more about the uh, RU Recovery Ministry, it's just rurecovery.com. Just don't do it while I'm preaching though, okay? Uh, look on there. But you can connect. I'll have, I have several copies of the, the newsletter and uh, just keep me one back there. Don't, if, I mean, I don't know, maybe nobody will want them, but if, you, if you'd like to see just a little and receive this, you can get it digitally or we'll send it to you, snail mail. But you can sign up for that or you can just go ahead and take a copy of it and it'll show you how to sign up. But it talks to you a little bit about transformed lives. Look at, look, look at, look at, look at that girl. Huh? Mm -hmm. And I'll tell you what, she's uglier than homemade sin right there. <laughs> but you don't look at her and look at her now. Huh? This guy's the director of our, our men's, our men's school of discipleship. Axel Wittig. Now, Axel Wittig was such a doper. Okay, so we, one weekend, the, 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 a, a cartel of drugs came into our town, and they were, they were really hot, which means they're extremely dangerous. Well, of course, people come from all over, and they find that. The addicts do they buy it. They'll pay huge money. But the risk is huge. So here's this guy. You know, he's been in our program and I've tried to help him. And he, even his wife, she's a sweet, sweet lady, she, she moves. This guy right here. It, it, isn't that? Look at him. He's all sad he looks. Man, the so, so he comes and he, he, his wife calls me on the phone. Uh, preacher, preacher, uh, actually he's out in the garage. He's got three other guys with him out in the garage and they're shooting up this cocaine. He's come into town and one, I, one of them is not using it though. So in case they overdose, he can call and they'll come and police will come and give him the, and, and they did. Dan, he, this guy overdosed. They called and uh, they came and Gave him two shots of Norco, took him to the hospital. His uh, buddies stayed, stayed there in the garage. Next morning, he was released from the hospital, went back to the garage. I was spitting mad. You know? Glad I didn't. He's now, he's the director of our men's school of discipleship now, Daniel. And his wife's a school teacher in our Christian school. I love the guy. I love him. And he loves the Lord. Listen, you know what? You and I are in the most important, I'm, I'm not exaggerating. This is the most important business in all the world. It's not, it's not where the Senate meets. It's not where Congress meets. No, no, no. It's not the Fortune 500 companies. It's the independent Bible-believing Baptists, people that love God and love sinners and are trying to get the gospel out to them and disciple believers to spiritual maturity. But whoo, what a task. But I want to talk to you about something today that just gives me such great confidence and hope, and that is that... Um, we're not in this alone. And uh, as if we were, it, we'd, be in a, we'd be in a mess. But talking about being in a mess, I've been reading recently. You remember Meriwether Lewis? I thought you met him. I mean, he's not your neighbor. Or William, uh, William Clark. 1803, this was, this was a smart move by President Thomas Jefferson. Our, the, the size of our country... With one stroke of the pen and $15 million to France, and uh, we are, the, the square miles of our country are doubled. The Louisiana Purchase, 1803. So President Thomas Jefferson, he, uh, he had a secretary, not, not the kind of note-taking kind, but it was Meriwether, it's a man, he's a man, Meriwether Lewis. And the man was just so skilled. In fact, when you read about the, you know, his journals and his, just his life and what uh, President uh, Jefferson had to say about him and just what an innovative, you know, determined kind of a guy. Well, he, 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 he said, find somebody to work with you and take a team of explorers. 
And uh, I want you to find a passable router, water route to the Pacific Ocean. In fact, here's what Jefferson said in his commission to Captain Meriwether Lewis. The object of your mission is to explore the Missouri River and such principal streams of it as by its course in communication with the waters of the Pacific Ocean as may offer to us the most direct and practicable water communication across this continent for the purposes of commerce. So in the month of May 1804, the Army Corps of Explorers with Lewis and Clark left Camp Du Bois outside of St. Louis, Missouri. They were on a 55-foot keel boat. They pulled their way westward and up the Missouri River fully anticipating that when they got to the headwaters of that river, that it would then lead them to, to the Columbia River that would then take them downstream to the Pacific Ocean. In fact, along the way, they bought canoes. <laughs> and, they, and it was hard work. You can imagine going up the headwaters in a 55-foot keelboat. Yeah. And... Uh, but they did it. It took him 15 months to get there. Just before arriving, he, he, he wrote, I, I, I do not despair of shortly finding a passage over the mountains and of tasting the waters of the great Columbia this evening. <laughs> but later that day, he wrote in his journal that one of the men that was with him had actually straddled the Missouri River, a foot on each side of this rivulet, he said. They were there at the headwaters, just up over the knoll, over the hill, fully expecting. We're going to find this sloping. It's going to look like the, what we've already been on. It's going to look like our terrain. It's going to be the same. That, oh, we've heard about mountains, but we've seen the Alleghenies. You know, they reasoned. You know, surely, this, with such confidence, after all, they had spent all of this time. And, but he wrote, he said, after refreshing ourselves in this little rivulet, he said, we then proceeded to the top of a divi the dividing ridge. And it was there that I discovered immense ranges of high mountains to the west of us, their tops covered with snow. There was no Northwest Water Passage. There was no navigable river. There was no water route. What they had assumed about the geography west of the Continental Divide was wrong. And all of their planning and all of their strategies had not prepared them for this, except for the character of Meriwether Lewis and William Clark. Innovative. They were in what we would call and what, when I was, when I was reading on it, just recently read a book about Lewis and Clark, they were in what was called uncharted territory. Unexpected terrain. Now it's February 28, 2021. At North Love Baptist Church in, in Rockford and in Illinois, we are in uncharted territory. Yeah, true. Unexpected terrain. Hmm. You watched hundreds of you. I was out here in the foyer at the book table. I watched hundreds of you come in this morning. You, would, you, you wouldn't walk in North Love Baptist Church without a mask. Not because I, I, I haven't had the COVID-19 yet, but, and, uh, but I'm, I'm sure loaded up on vitamin D and zinc, I can tell you that. <laughs> and, but I know a lot of people that have, but I, just, I also know that if one person calls our health department, it's, it's already happened to us. Then they're going to show up, and they're going to threaten you. We will close you down. 
Up until two weeks ago, the law was we could only have 10 individuals in our auditorium at one time. That's uncharted territory. And it's not, it's not just regional. It, it, it's, it's global. We're, we're, we're in a situation now in our, in our world that we have, we have never, in my lifetime and as a history minor, I've never seen anything like this. So many unexpected things. Uh, just on gender. You're thinking this is, it truly is insane. Uh, who, would, who would have believed, I, I wouldn't have believed a few months ago that Sunnyside, this is what they have, the audacity to call these dope houses where they legally sell marijuana. Sunnyside. And in the frigid cold temperatures to see 80, 100, 120 people, young people and old people too, standing up there, they're all huddled up six feet apart, waiting to go in and buy dope. And they tell us we can only have 10 people in church. You think, you think to the north, you think that President Trudeau is bad? Listen, Kamala Harris is going to, she's far beyond Mr. Trudeau. And there are preachers in prison today in Canada because they dare to preach the Bible on these subjects. So, we're in a time of global change. How? Where do we turn? What do we do? I'm glad we've got the Bible, aren't you? I like this. Is, these are timeless truths for troublesome times. <laughs> oh, I love it. Don't you love your Bible? So I'm thinking about this and I'm thinking, you know, it's coming up on 2021. This has been a weird year. What, what should be our theme? What should we look at? And how do we? So here's, here's, here's where the, I, I got to think it. All right, now how, in, in world history, biblical history, so you're going back 1990 years now, maybe, maybe 1991, 1992 years. I don't know. It's real close. You know, pretty, pretty sure that when Jesus ascended from Mount Olivet, okay, and he's not set foot on terra firma physically, and he won't until the end of the tribulation. He'll go back to the same place there, and that's going to be real cool. I, I don't like horses, but we're going to ride horses, and uh, we're going to come back, and he's going to set things right, and we're going to have this incredible millennium, and then a new heavens and a new earth, and it's just, but, but this is his, his, his last, he, his last day on planet Earth. You know, he's going to talk. The only time I think that I can remember that he talked from heaven uh, you know, was when to Saul. Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? Who art thou, Lord? He said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. Jesus, I've been talking to you dead. <laughs> no, I, I'm not dead. No wonder he said, what wilt thou have me to do? <laughs> yeah, so, other than that, you know, the direct voice of Jesus looking into the faces, literally of, of people, and these were the top, you know, 11, and then that congregation of about 120 people. What was on his mind? Now, make no mistake about it, that was a momentous transformation in Israel at that time. Their world was being turned upside down. And I'm not talking about the political arena, but the timing of this message elevates and accentuates its importance. I'm talking about Acts chapter 1. That's where we're going to go. You can start there if you'd like. Now, there, it's, a, it, it's elevated because of the final words of Jesus to his disciples before returning to heaven. It's elevated because it's a major shift in ministry methods taking place. Christ's life here on earth will cease until he returns. 
an age or an era is completing and another is commencing. You think if you're a Jew and you're living, and, and as in Acts chapter number two, God strategically at Pentecost brought Jewish people who were sincere about knowing God, brought them to Jerusalem. What a momentous time. What an opportunity to communicate to a, a world that was undergoing a global shift, a global change. Christ had risen from the dead. But rather than establishing his kingdom, the expected action of God. When they read the Old Testament, they didn't see this age of the churches. This was going to be totally brand new. That era was, for the Jews, the fading away of the office of the priest. The high priest, the temple would be destroyed. Sabbath worship would, would end. Synagogues, animal sacrifices, ordinances, customs practiced for, for millennial, millenniums, generations would cease. In his place, we would find assemblies called out groups of people called churches. And even, even when Jesus introduced it, introduced the concept or the idea, it brought, a, it brought an uproar. In fact, it brought, brought Satan on the scene. Remember, uh, where is it? Matthew 16. Jesus is talking to his disciples. And uh, there he gives them the information, I, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. But then right afterwards, he begins to unravel to, you know, I'm going to be crucified. Psalm 22 is going to be fulfilled. And he's like, they're going to kill me. I'm going to raise again. So what does Peter do? Grabs him, looks to me like grabs him by, not so, Lord. You know, it's very strong words of rebuke. And I looked at him and said, get thee behind me, Satan. Without saving. See, this was, this was a total transformation. Have you... Uh, the, the book of Hebrews. What an incredible book in the, in the New Testament to help these people, the Hebrew people, to help them understand there, there's someone that came, Jesus, he's better than angels. Jesus is better than Levi. He's better than the priesthood. He's better than the sacrifices. He's the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. He died, he was buried, and he rose again. Now get into a Bible preaching church. Begin getting that message out to the world. It's brand new. The, only, the pastors, they'd read the word in the Old Testament, but they didn't connect it with a servant leader in a church. And a deacon? What's a deacon? And this, 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 this transitional time was of such significance that it deserves our careful attention to every detail revealed to us by the Spirit of God. So since about November last year, I've been focusing my attention on this amazing final day before Jesus went to heaven. Now he starts out, of course, a medical doctor is writing this. Right. Dr. Luke, open your mouth and say, ah. <laughs> but what a dear friend. And what a brilliant mind. And when you come to this, written to Theophilus also, it's like a continuation from the book of Luke, of course, the gospel according to Luke. And he begins with these, uh, there, there's going to be an emphasis, and you'll see it, it'll jump out at you real fast, that now with this, this global change, <clears throat> here's a timeless truth. But, but you're going to see this is, well, let me, let me not, 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 not reveal that yet. Let me just get to it. The former treatise of I made O Theophilus of all that Jesus began both to do and teach. Well, it's always good when somebody does what they teach, don't you know? And uh, doing is more important than teaching, I think. Uh, he's emphasizing, until the day in which he was taken up after that, he, now don't miss this, don't miss this. He, through the Holy Ghost, gave commandment unto his disciples. Amen. Now, there's a lot of commanders in chief around, but I'll tell you the kind that are going to really make a difference in the world are those that are led by the Holy Spirit of God. Amen. Amen. Everything that Jesus did... In fact, when you take the life of Christ from his conception in Mary's womb by the Holy Ghost, think about the people that were a part of his, uh, 
You know, you have John the Baptist, you have Zacharias, you have Elizabeth, you have Mary, you have Joseph, you have Simeon, you have Anna. All these people we introduced, were introduced to right around the conception of the birth of Christ and his birth into this world. These people had a, there was something special in their lives that enabled them to do that which would humanly have been impossible. And they, they, they were able to face all of the, all of the ramifications that went into that. They did it well, by this relationship. This relationship with the Holy Spirit of God. Yep. So he, uh, he assembled together with him, verse 4, and commanded them. They should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait. Wait for the promise of the Father. Which saith he, you have heard of me? For John truly baptized with water, immersed with water, but ye shall be baptized, immersed with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. Now think about that, because he's talking about a relationship. Now I don't understand. I don't ever understand everything about that. Sure. But I do know this. That what we see on, in Acts chapter number 2, it happened because whatever it was to be immersed in the Holy Spirit, they were dunked in. They were completely covered with the Spirit of God. And whatever it is, that's what I need. Amen. Yeah. Amen. I, 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 that's what we need. He, he, he describes this in a different term here than in, in verse six, uh, 7. Uh, he said, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons. Aren't we so dumb? We're so dumb. You know, he's, he's given this, he's given this, this profound truth that he's tried to, he's enunciated to them before about the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And uh, so he's trying to get this cross to him and they say, excuse me, but I've got a question, Jesus. Uh, what is it? What is it? Hey, are you going to set up your kingdom now? You know how, but, but you know, it's true. We can get, we can become so sidetracked on other things that we fail to remember that we're not in this alone. There's someone in you. No, they didn't know it at Corinth. He said, he said twice, he's, what, 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 what? No, you're not. No, no, you're not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. You're living, you're out there fornicating. You're doing all these wicked things. You're not spiritual. You're carnal. What's going on in Corinth? These people didn't understand the fact they weren't alone. They had God living in them. My friend, that's not figurative. It's literally true this morning. He's in there. In my relationship with him and his with mine, is the only way we can face any kind of crisis, global or personal. So now, he's, so he, now he's answering them. But ye shall receive power, verse 8. After that, now here's going to describe this relationship in another way. Now, by the way, this is not the indwelling of the Spirit of God. I think in John 20, 22, when Jesus resurrected, and he breathed on them and said, receive ye the Holy Ghost. I personally believe that that's when the Holy Spirit of God took up residence inside of the believers. Now, by the way, this is another, this is another uh, uh, monumental change. Do you know the first time you find somebody filled with the Spirit of God? It's not a preacher. It's not an evangelist. It's not some great. No, 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 I'm not saying that word. This was the first time it was. But there, Moses has the instructions on building this beautiful tabernacle, patterned after the one in heaven. And he said, now, I want, to tell, I want you to right, go find this guy. His name's Bezalel. Now, Bezalel never preached a sermon. But oh, Bezalel, man, I want to tell you, he's a goldsmith. He's an artisan with silver. And by the way, go on and find, there's some women out there and there's seamstresses. And there are some men, and you know what they are? They're tailors. And he said, I filled them with the Spirit of God. And they're going to make these clothes that Aaron and his sons are going to wear. And they're going to be passed on for thousands of years. He said, oh, yeah. Boy, if I were a preacher, I'd sure be concerned about being filled with the Spirit of God. You know, if you're a seamstress, you need to be concerned about being filled with the Spirit of God. I'm simply saying it. This is not something that we, 
And then you see the Spirit of God coming upon people. You know, I love the book of Judges. Thank God for the Spirit. The Spirit of God coming upon Othniel, coming upon uh, Gideon, coming upon Deborah, coming upon these these men and that lady. Now, over those 400 years when everybody's doing what was right in their own eyes, but God used these people. But it wasn't them. It was, it was, I remember when Saul, Saul's the first king. The people said, oh, give us a king, give us a king. He said, oh, you don't want a king. Oh, yeah, we want a king. Saul said, all right, all right, all right. God said, go ahead and give him a king. So they find this tall, dark, and handsome dude. This guy, he said, oh, Saul. And he's really humble. It's really nice. Really, you know, unknown. You know, he's just this just son of a, whatever. Yeah. So the prophet comes to him and says, anoint him. No, Saul, he said, something's going to happen to you. He said, the Spirit of God's going to come upon you. Same term that's used here. The Spirit of God when he comes upon you. Here's what he said. You will be changed into another man. What? You mean I don't have to go to a psychologist, psychiatrist? I don't have to go to 700 therapies? I don't have to think through all of these things and pull up all my childhood uh, disasters and disappointments in life? Uh, you know what I mean? You mean God's going to actually do something in me by His Holy Spirit? That's exactly what I mean. That's exactly what He meant. So it's not you changing you, it's God changing you. And if He doesn't change you, believe me, I've... I, I've seen the works of the flesh. You know the energy of what we can do? We can do a lot on our own, can't we? But it's never going to count for eternity. It'll always, it, it ends up burning out like a star that's here for a moment and then it just vanishes away. So, now here's, this is for your missions conference. But ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses. He didn't say. And secondly, I, I want you to be witnesses. No, 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 no. He said, if you, the Spirit of God will come upon you. If he'll immerse you. Chapter 2, and the most frequently used word in the New Testament, if he'll fill you. Let's stop for a moment. Think about the most, there's a metaphor used three times. In fact, it's found in Acts chapter number 2. Remember when they were filled with the Spirit of God and some of the people, some of the people, the, 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 it's you know, 9 o'clock in the morning, I think it was, or something like that, early morning. And they said, what is with these guys? They're drunk. They're inebriated. And uh, remember what Peter said? No, 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 no. He said, uh, this is a fulfillment of Joel. He didn't say Joel 2, 28, 32. But this is a fulfillment of a prophecy. I'll pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. It wasn't just these 11 guys. I think the whole congregation, about 120 of them, we know. And they're out there. And so these these guys, they're actually being understood in foreign languages. But you know, there was such, they were so they, 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 were, they were so filled with an exuberance. In fact, in chapter number two, the people, they're talking with one another. They're, they, you know, they've gathered for Pentecost. They brought all their tithes. This is what they were doing 50 days you know, after uh, the, the uh, Passover. They're bringing their tithes there and their offerings. They've come from every country in the world. And uh, they're talking with one another. Man, how do we hear in our own language? These men speak the wonderful works of God. You know what these people were doing? They were just, oh, you know what God's done for me? You know what Christ has done for me? You know, he's changed my life. Let me just tell you what it is. And they're looking at him and saying, why, these people are drunk. Now, why did they say that? Because they were under the control of. And the only way they could explain, it's the same same way in Ephesians 5. And be not drunk with wine, we're in his excess but be filled with the Spirit. Why do that contrasting comparison? Because of the similarity of the two. You see, becoming a witness, martyreo, willing to follow Jesus to the death, it's not something we work up. It's not something you just kind of 
And this, this happened. Why, have you wondered why the emphasis in here from Dr. Luke and the Spirit of God ultimately is on Peter getting up and saying, oh, let me, let me have your attention, please. I, I want to tell you something. You know why? <laughs> because Peter was the least likely of those 11 men. And so he wanted to encourage you. He said, man, I'd sure like to be a witness. I get so tongue-tied. Then give the Spirit of God control of your life and He'll take control of you. Hey, listen, He'll take control of your tongue. Isn't it? Oh, okay, no, am I, not, am I not telling the truth? Is that not what happened? Look at Acts chapter number 2 and verse number 1. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. Now, it didn't blow their hair back. And some of us, that's not a much of a problem, you know. But it didn't blow their hair back. It wasn't like wind. But it looks to me like this howling sound of a wind filled the place. Now, where we, where, where we grew up in Michigan, that would have been tornado, <laughs> the sound of that wind coming through. Now, let me ask you, is there not a connection between wind and words? Okay, if I don't have any air in my lungs, I can't talk to you. You see, when he said, when the Spirit of God has come upon you, you shall be witnesses. He was saying at that point in your life, and, and it's, 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 he's going to begin to, and he's going to take control of your tongue. He's going to take control of your words. Now, I know what Pastor James says. You know, the tongue can no man tame, and he's absolutely right. But what no man can tame, that's right, we're not limited to any man. Because inside of us, there's the Spirit of God. And when He, as He takes control, our boldness, our words, a rushing mighty wind. Now, just to make sure they don't misunderstand, He even sent along these cloven tongues of fire on top of their heads for a while. So I'm trying to let you know that this message of redemption, the fact that Christ the Son of God died for people's sins, was buried, rose again the third day, and now is ascended into heaven. And by faith in Him, anyone can be saved. If that message is going to go out, somebody is going to have to use some wind and use their tongue, and they're going to have to talk to somebody else about it. But don't feel bad if that seems hard to you. Okay, so I just finished a study, Pastor, and on Wednesday nights at NLBC, North Love Baptist Church. So every Wednesday night, I started in Romans, went all the way through Hebrews. I'm sorry, I, I, I just believe that he wrote Hebrews too. But anyway, I, I like it. it it's, and because, but I did. The prayers, uh, the prayer, prayer and the apostle Paul in the epistles, okay? So I started with Romans, and every time, every time prayer is mentioned, that's what we stopped and studied. So it took us 22 months to do this, about 90 sermons. <gasps> and on a handful of occasions, not very often, but on a handful of occasions, Paul will say, hey, would you pray for me? Would you pray for me? So I'm thinking, wow, what was his prayer request? Now I'll tell you, I've been saved a long, long time. Saved at five years of age. Been in infant fundamental Baptist churches all my life. I've been a member of three churches. Bethel Baptist Church, Berean Baptist Church, now North Love. But it's been a rare occasion when I ever heard a prayer request like Paul asked for According, well, here's an example, Ephesians 6. He said, would you pray for me that I'll have boldness to open my mouth as I ought? What? I thought you had this incredible personality. Just made you. No. And you know, there's so much to communicating. It's not just the words we say, it's how we say it. It's when we say it, it's to whom we say it. It's, it's just, uh, I'm just simply saying, not, it, it, to me, it's so profound. The last day, the last hours, the last minutes that Jesus is with his, his man, this global transformation in world history, you're going to start these churches. You're going to go to church on Sunday. Oh, all of it. It's just so wild. So here's how you're going to do it. You are going to have to be, it's like being dunked in the Spirit of God. It's kind of like he's going to have to come upon you and then he's going to have to fill you. He's going to, he's going to need to control you. And the more he controls you, the more he'll control your tongue. Amen. Wow. 
You know, not only in evangelism, but that makes a wonderful difference, a blessing to your spouses, to your children, to the people you work with, the other everybody you're around. Right. My goodness, when God has control of my tongue. So true. So, but that's not all he... You know, if he's going to control their tongues, the Bible says here that uh, verse 5, there were dwelling at, this is chapter 2 now, there were dwelling at Jerusalem, Jews, devout men out of every nation under heaven. Now dwelling does not mean, now they were living there, but they were there for Pentecost. And, uh, and, and now when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded because that every man heard them speak in his own language. They're all amazed. Marveled saying one to another. Now, it, obviously, these people were with one, in one accord in one place but they didn't stay there. Now, maybe it was that upper room from Acts chapter number one. I don't know where this took place. I don't know. I don't know where it was. But it certainly wasn't big enough for a multitude. So you know what? When the Spirit of God got control of their tongues, he got control of their feet. Yes. Yeah. Right. He said, you know what? We're going we're gonna to get up and we're going to, because we've got something to say and we're going to go out there and we're going to start talking about it. And it wasn't because they, it was, that was not some kind of work in themselves. No, no, no. The Spirit of God, as He controlled, He took them where He wanted them to go. Mm -hmm. and, that, and, and you know His control of the tongue? It was so profound that He brought to memory verses that they had memorized. And when you read Peter's sermon in Acts 2, or you read the others that are found in the Bible, you'll see it. It's just spewing right out of his mouth. Bing, 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 bing. This is, really, really, really you go back to the upper, uh, upper room discourse with Jesus, John 14, 15, 16. Okay. What did he tell him? He said, oh, when the spirit of truth comes upon you, he said, you're going to love it. I'm going away. But don't, don't be dismayed. Lo, I, what, what did Matthew say? The very end. Matthew said, there's a last word. Lo, I am with you all even on the edge of the end of the world, under the age. Wow, you mean Jesus is in? Yeah, Jesus is in the person of the Holy Spirit. That's what he's talking about. You know, Mark does the same. Luke does the same. And then John gives us all these details near the end of Christ's ministry. His focus of attention pointed to this area. What's my relationship like with the Holy Spirit of God? Because when it's as it ought to be, he's going to have control of my words. He's going to bring to memory those things that ought to be brought to memory. Things that are true and honest and just and pure and lovely and of good report. Things that are virtuous and things that are praiseworthy. He's going to let us think on, oh, this is so transformational. It's wonderful. I can hardly believe it. How I missed it. So many, many years in my Christian life. I was afraid talking about the Holy Spirit because we, somehow we got in Acts chapter number two and they, they got all stuck on his tongues, 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 tongues. It's utterly ridiculous what's really taking place here. God's getting control of these people. Just like he wants, then he must get control of you and me. And we can go as fast from one to the other. Remember I told you about the first time the church is introduced? Uh, Jesus said, and, uh, whom do you say that I am? Peter said, I know, I know, I know, I know. Okay, who do you say that I am? The earth of Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus looked at him and said, wow, Pete. He said, flesh and blood didn't reveal that to you. My Father in heaven revealed that to you. Oh, wow, God speaking through me. Yeah, that's right. So then a few minutes later, get thee behind me, Satan. And now, now from one extreme to the other. You ever been there? So what's, uh, oh, by the way, here's, not only did they get a control of their tongues, not only did they get control of their feet and really their bodies, but you know if he's going to control their tongue, He's going to have control of their mind. Who the mind, that can be terrible. It can be so discouraging, so disgusting, so depressing. But you don't need an antidepressant. You just need to get right with the Spirit of God. And you know what's amazing how he'll Fill our mind with courage and hope and faith. Because, you know what, here's what will happen. Ephesians calls it like this. Okay, so when you get saved, it's like the seed of the Spirit is inside of you. And, he, and then he starts growing this tree. You know, if you're growing, you start growing spiritually, like a tree is going to grow inside of you. And it's not going to happen overnight, but over a period of time, this tree that's going to take root inside of you, you cultivate that. 
by your obedience, your surrender, your submission. And when the Spirit of God moves and motivates you, you do it. You, 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 you listen to Him when you're studying the Bible and you're reading it. And, uh, and even in church like this, and, and so all of our, we're so you know this, and He's cultivating that. And you know what happens? Then He starts producing fruit. Yeah, listen, love, isn't, love isn't, the, isn't my fruit. I am an unloving man. No amens, dear. No amens a lot. But I'll tell you what, the fruit of love. How about joy? How about peace? How about gentleness? How about meekness? How about faith? And you know what? Look at Acts chapter number two and you're going to see as these 3,000 people get saved. Dan and I were studying this yesterday driving this big beast that they gave me to drive. This is a great old car. It's an old man's car. I don't know what it is, this car that, that Southwest let me use. It's a wonderful thing. Thanks for making it happen. I, but I just, I felt like I should have oars. <laughs> you know, we go boats. I cruised down over to Elk City. It was cool yesterday. I was waving at everybody. <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, when the Spirit of God takes control, as he did here, then 3,000 people get saved. And yesterday, Diane and I in the car, we said, hey, let's, let's, what happened? What, what's, what's important for a new convert? Well, Acts 2, you know, 40, 41 there. They that gladly received his word were baptized. Well, they need to get baptized. And they continued in the apostles' doctrine. They need to get into church. You know, they need to join the church. They're going to get again. They'll add to the church daily. You know, that sort of stuff. You follow that on through. You know, these people became outrageously generous. Now, I know a lot of Jewish people, and I don't mean to, you know, but uh, not everybody's really naturally generous, I'm just simply saying. But, they, but I'll tell you what, these people were handing it out. You know, they, no, this, was, this was, in fact, Karl Marx pointed to Acts 2 and Acts 4, and he said, this is communism. No, 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 that's not communism. That's biblical Christianity. That's biblical Christianity at work right there. You, they, get, they just, you know, because we're all naturally, you know, me, my, mine, and, and the Lord just turns us. I'm simply saying it's, it's all, it's <laughs> the most important relationship, really, in a, just in a summarizing statement. He needs control of my tongue, my, my body, my mind, uh, obviously he, had got, he got control of their will. And we already talked about their emotions. You know, I mean, these people were so happy. It, it, it just didn't, it wasn't like this, oh, one day. You start reading on through the book of the, uh, we, we call it, I, I don't know, it, could, it, could, it just couldn't. My Bible says, the, you say the, the Acts of the Apostles. Okay, I, I, don't, I don't know who did that. But it should be the Acts of the Holy Spirit. And I don't okay, care if you want to call him ghost, okay? But acts of the Holy Ghost or Holy Spirit is really what it is. 77 times, and we're just scratching the surface this morning, but right at the very heart and the core of where we are. I mean, we, we've got to be witnesses, but I'm not going to be able to work myself up into it. But, but when I'm in a right relationship with the Spirit of God, I'm filled with him. He's going to have control of my mind, my will. He's going to have control of my emotions, my tongue, my feet. My, and... Um, It'll change my life. Yes. That's good. Yes, sir. Now there, inside, inside of me, the Holy Spirit of God, you know, I want him to have access to every, every room. Okay, I've got a big house inside here, 249 pounds. So he's in here, okay. And he's, I want him to have access to every area. I want him to have my mind. I want him to have my will. I want him to have my emotions. I don't, I don't want no, any, any locked doors. And so here's what happens. If he comes and he, you know, he sees a door, there's something in there, it's locked. You know what he does? He knocks. He says, now, Paul, he said, this is grieving me. Hey, Paul, I've got to live here. Jesus promised I'm not going anywhere. I'm here. But I'm not liking what I'm seeing. So turn it off. I, I, I'm not liking what I'm hearing. I'm not liking what you're saying. Stop it. And I'm, here's, here's just, we'll just, it's 12 o'clock, we're going to quit. But I want to ask you, what, what does he say to you? And are you listening? Are you listening? still small voice 
when it happens. Just say yes. Say yes. I yield. And we can make it to the Pacific Ocean. No, it won't be in canoes gliding down the Columbia River. It's going to be climbing mountains. It's going to be dangerous. It's going to be difficult. But it's worth it. It's worth it. Let's pray together. Wonderful Spirit of God, living inside, thank you for never, ever, ever abandoning me. Since I was five years of age on a third Sunday night of March, when you came in, I didn't know you entered. I'm so glad you did. And maybe in this room this morning, this is oftentimes what we do, and you've got good room in between your pews. Even while we're sitting down, God will say, do you know what? Why don't you get up from where you are and make your way to the altar? I have someone there going to play that, or maybe even sing, have thine own way. But as God speaks to your heart, now maybe you're not used to that. Let's just all stand to our feet. Can we do that? Standing to our feet with our heads bowed and eyes closed, but all around the auditorium this morning. What's the still small voice saying to you this morning? A change that needs to take place in your life. Someone's here to pray with you, to speak with you, to counsel with you. But how about you? You say, well, I just, I, I don't. Do you know what an invitation is? It's an opportunity for us to publicly and personally humble ourselves, which makes us guaranteed recipients of God's grace. Have thine own way, Lord. Have thine own way. Thou art the potter, I am the clay. Oh, Spirit of God, could you talk to him today? Point out what it is that's hindering my filling. Why is it that you're not having control of my tongue? What's keeping me back?